We want to welcome you all to the first of our new quarterly virtual speaker series, Winter Brainstorm. This series is sponsored by the Kessler Foundation as part of our TBI model system grant, which is funded by the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research. Now it's my pleasure to introduce Tower Buggy. In her almost 25 years as an individual with brain injury, Tara has found herself intrigued by the human brain's ability to endure injury and instilled in her a need for answers, a need to know. Two years after her traumatic brain injury, she began the law school program that she was accepted while in a coma and began her love of research and writing. She went on to work assisting judges at the U.S. Court of Federal Claims, the U.S. Department of Education's General Counsel's Office, and the New Jersey Superior Court. She continued her love for research-based expertise in a brief career in private practice before redirecting her focus on brain injury and neuroscience research and writing. Tara has spent the last decade studying neuroscience, philosophy, and psychology, particularly the self and impaired self-awareness. Tara is actively involved with the Brain Injury Alliance of New Jersey. She is speaking today on reclaiming self after brain injury, hope for a new, new self. Thank you, Tara, for being here with us today. Thank you, Jeannie. Thank you also to the Kessler Foundation for this outstanding invitation to speak to many people who have given me the middle of their day on Thursday. Thank you also. Uh, really, um, self after brain injury is such an essential and relatively unrecognized uh, topic. Um, we, uh, we're gonna get into the nitty gritty. Um, the reason why it's newsworthy, of course, it's January. Um, and so everyone wants a new self or uh, self-improvement of some kind. Uh, the, the, re the resolutions uh, abound. Though some of us, uh, even those without brain injury, are uh, facing a prospect of a new self that they didn't make resolution for. Uh, those facing long COVID uh, are, who've lost abilities or roles in life uh, as a result of cognitive impairments that they're just right now navigating for the first time uh, are looking at the topic of self in a whole new way. Um, let's see. There we are. The itself is a hot topic. Uh, COVID night. The uh, National Geographic's running articles or a news story. Uh, can COVID nineteen change your personality? Which is another word for self. Here's what brain brain research has to say. Uh, the Harvard Health Publishing talks about the tragedy of long COVID. Um, neuroscience is also finding self a compelling topic right now because it's closer than it's ever been to bridging the gap between self and the brain. Um, that uh, explanatory gap, as Jason Tagow says uh, in his book, The Elusive Brain. Um, we see articles just from last month, how the brain preserves self or uh, um, Discover Magazine talking about brain scientists probe the mechanisms behind self-identity. Uh, myself, I, I, when Jeannie offered the opportunity to, to pick a topic of my choice, I chose self because it was such a poignant part of the what I call the inside of my recovery. Um, Self-awareness, as Jeannie said, is something that I've studied for a decade and I've always marveled 
at the fact that the recovery experience, the true essence of the experience is a total secret to anyone on the outside, what I call the outside. Um, Oliver Sacks in 85 talked about in his poignant, uh, in his uh, bestseller, Man Who Mistook His Way for a Hat, talked about the experience of impaired self-awareness as uh, totally like uh, um, unfathomable, um, inconceivable was the word he used. Uh, even to the most uh, sensitive observer, he is a sensitive observer because he knows what he's looking for, but couldn't conceive of the experience. Um, the research I've done for today, I was very pleasantly surprised to read uh, an allusion to the experience of the subjective experience of recovery as in the inside. So somebody's getting it. And then I was further excited by the fact that a lot of the research shows that the subjective experience of the patient is going to be part of the equation of um, certainly improved treatment, but possibly, and I propose that I make the case today, for a return to self, the new, new self, uh, the um, the the brain injured the brain injured will be part of the equation of returning returning or or uh, getting to be uh, getting to be a self that they longed for. So um, the experience of loss of self is um, oh we skipped one I think there we are sorry um, who who are we talking about um, the World Health Organization did a research in 2018 of the global, uh, the, the, an estimate of the global epidemic of brain injury. They focused solely on traumatic brain injury, which is the silent epidemic. So we see that um, 69 million in the world experienced traumatic brain injury, but they also noted the 30 million that experienced central nervous system brain injury, and then the 6.9 that experienced um, stroke in the world. And they noted also that uh, those numbers were, were underestimates just because of the collection of data and how it's sort of a war and, and things complicated to get the exact numbers. Um, in my own, re my own living experience as I prepared for this just you know, a few weeks, um, came to know two, two more, two more. The young man who helped me with the printer, my war with the printer uh, said, oh, I, I sustained brain traumatic brain injury. And then just last night, a friend of mine was collecting money for a friend of hers who just had a brain aneurysm. Um, it really is everywhere. And luckily we are surviving it. The advances in medicine are letting us live. Uh, unfortunately, we're living with disabilities. Um, uh, though, though chronic, some of them are, um, though chronic, they are subtle. Um, memory, attention, emotion, language, energy, um, all of these impairments or, or, or challenges um, of, of all of them, the one agreed on by most is the loss of sense of self. Uh, potentially the most enduring change after brain injury, uh, I can't see that, relates to the subjective experience of who someone is and who someone is seen to be. The loss of sense is so common. In fact, um, let's see, move you guys so I can see. In fact, that it is uh, been described as being the, the almost sin qua non, which is Latin for essential of brain injury. Um, the, where have I, where have I gone? Let's see. 
Okay, so now we're gonna go to a map. Here we are. The, so uh, before we get into the Latin, before we get into the nitty gritty of that kind of stuff, we're gonna just lay out where we're gonna, how we're gonna do it. Um, our roadmap must be preceded by a, my heads up that this is not a how-to. I can't, we can't do that for brain injury, right? Uh, brain injury is by the experts described as uh, uh, the word heterogeneity. It, everyone's, every injury is too different. They're as different as their recoveries are. So it, this is not a how to reclaim self. Um, I'm gonna share my story with you and make the case that uh, we have a lot to look forward to about the um, alliance between alliance between science psychology and uh and the patient with the objective with the subjective experience um so we're going to look at science briefly i am going to just tell you a bit about two common conditions often resulting from brain injury um the 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 covering it isn't i'm not a i'm not a neuroscientist so we're going to be relatively broad and i'm going to go as fast as i can um, so stay with me. <laughs> I'm not, not keep up with me, but, um, don't, you know, mute me when this, when we go into the science, cause it'll be for a lot of the presentation. Um, we're going to talk about the self generally. Then we're going to talk about the loss of sense of self, which is the first of the two conditions. Then we're going to talk about the importance of the patient voice in treatment of the loss of sense of self. And then we're going to talk about impaired, impaired self-awareness. Uh, which is the second condition, and then the importance of the patient voice in the impaired self-awareness treatment. Um, then we'll talk about the advances, and I'll, and through all of this, and after, and part of advances, I'll weave my story to um, sort of demonstrate the evidence of the importance of the patient voice and the importance of both the patient voice and the advances in the returning to self. And then as Jeannie said, we'll ask, um, we'll have uh, 20 minutes for questions. So here's this fine print. The fine print is that I'm not a neuroscientist. As I said earlier, I'm not a psychologist. I'm a survivor, which as we'll talk about today, gives me and some of you um, in a unique perspective on the topic of self that um, science now says means a lot, which is terrific. Um, these topics have taken centuries to understand, so our, our uh, discussion is going to be a survey of them. Um, I invite correction. Uh, if there's any, if there are any professionals out there who who can share and start this alliance, start this patient uh, neuroscience psychology alliance, I invite correction um, in the 20 minutes at the end. Um, I've included annotations in my slides, so feel free to. Uh, screenshot them or ask for them later. Um, and um, that's the disclaimer. So let's get to the science. Oh, we skipped one. Okay, so talking about self. This is my first slide for self. Yes. Um, I'm going to start with an introduction to the top, the topic of self with my first experience of self in, in my brain injury recovery. I was early in my rehabilitation. I was a resident of the more acute half of the think third floor hall. And I was coming back from uh, occupational therapy, sitting in a wheelchair being pushed by 
a, a, a transport is what they were called. And whatever it was about either the therapy or the transport's kind words behind me or something, uh, I looked in my lap and realized that I had no idea why I was there because I didn't remember what brought me there. And as we'll see later, when we talk about the different lot, different kinds of loss of self, um, um, Mahari Nochi is the gentleman or the person that we're going to, who's gonna list the kinds of loss of self, um, lists one of them as uh, a loss of, you know, it's related to memory, related to amnesia. Um, so because of my amnesia, I uh, was missing this very foundational uh, piece that uh, that went to who I was. And so at that moment, in that time, because I had short-term memory loss, I had the experience, started crying. The nurse wrote this note down that you're looking at. Um, if you can, I'll read it for you. The, the uh, handwriting may be difficult. Um, alert and restless. Um, when patient was working with occupational therapist, patient became tearful and kept stating she doesn't have her memory. I'll put the RY at the end for you. Um, and I only remembered the moment because it was stamped in my brain and I could read it here and uh, share it with you. Um, but this experience of self is so incredibly um, the loss of self is so incredibly poignant, important, but almost indescribable, right? Um, so let's get to it where we can look at words that describe it. There it is. Thou, huge mess, not mess, but very complicated. Um, uh, um, um, the, this is my uh, creation of a visual based on what, um, Jane, uh, Jane Beadle, Tamara Owensworth, and Jennifer Fleming, uh, they did a review of the impact of what, what TBI does to self. They call, um, they call self nebulous. I think this is a good picture of nebulous. Um, we see that there are contradictions inside of it, um, consistent, evolving, independent, uh, independence and relationships, um, past, present, uh, future your possible self. Um, there are also, so, so this big nebulous thing um, is a result of many different schools of thought, right? We have philosophy, we have Descartes, I, 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 I think therefore I am. Then we have in psychology, Freud, id, superego, unconscious, conscious. And we also have neurology, right? They're involved. Um, According to neuroscience, or the second bullet, self emerges from a brain as a product of biology and culture. I'm not really sure. Um, the picture, the first bullet says that self is a major weakness, an enigma for cognitive science. Why is it so hard? The picture is, I don't know if anyone remembers, um, back in 2017, the viral um, dress image. Is it... I think the story was, is it black or is it blue? But that looks white to me. Um, so it was about perception and how you perceive um, the dress. And what was so uh, complicated about it was that I can't see what you can see. You can't, what you see. So therein lies the problem, right? And for neuroscience, uh, do we have... 
oh no, uh, for neuroscience, um, their situation is that they measure things, right? They're quantitative. Um, they wanna see it in the brain. Unfortunately or fortunately, they see it everywhere in the brain. Um, they have uh, they have the idea that it's, or there, there's an idea that self is one entity. What is self? What is that thing self? But it's because it's in so many parts of the brain. Um, I don't know, there, it's difficult for science to get its hand around and that's called the explanatory gap, which I referred to earlier. It's essentially that neuroscience uh, can't explain the subjective experience with physicality. Um, okay, so then we're gonna go to that experience. The sense of self is um, by Jane Beadle. Uh, she did a 2021 study where the patient she was treating for loss of sense of self, that was her major, it wasn't, she didn't have a major amnesia problem. She didn't have a major speech problem. Her, her, her um, most important loss was sense of self. Um, and so the study goes into the topic and she, Jane Beadle describes it as, defines it as the mental process that provides, there should be an S, one with the feeling of singularity, coherence, individuality, and unity that defines one as unique and a, a unique and particular human being. Um, okay. Um, she did say, though, that self changes. Self changes, right? Of course it does. Um, she had in her discussion that um, there are a number of events that change self, the non-injured, anyone's self, a neurological event, as we're discussing today, a major life transition, which is a stress, could be a stressful event, like becoming a parent um, would change yourself. You're no longer, I don't know, what do you say? You're no longer going out to bars and partying, you're home making dinner, or you're responsible for these people who are your children. Um, so your self is either complemented by new characteristics or changed. Uh, social evaluation, which is feedback on you as a person, also uh, changes yourself. And then psychotherapy, targeting self schema. Those are the many ways that um, self changes. Um, so if self is changed, if so, if self changes in those ways, um, what is it about brain injury that's different? Um, why is parenting not the trauma that, you know, I'm joking. Um, um, there was also uh, a, a study that I read about hockey players who, um, it was actually in the concussion uh, journal about hockey players, professional hockey players who sustained numerous concussions and needed to stop stop the profession. And I wondered, as I read the study, it did mention loss of sense of self, but I wondered, um, isn't this just about an out of shape athlete changing careers or, or finishing his career? And it's not because of the more further reasons that Tamara Ownsworth in her book about self-identity after brain injury and Jane Beadle um, list, they say, do I have it? No, um, that uh, the change of self, the, that people who are not, who do not sustain the first of the four um, experience is actually a very complex neurological process that we don't 
know is happening. And it involves your memory and it involves uh, reconciling your old self and your new self. And it involves self-awareness of, of your awareness of how you perform activities or your ability. And it involves processing of memories. So if you can think for a second um, about the challenges that those essential, that those um, complex, those essential things that are essential to the complex process. Um, if, if your memory isn't working and your executive uh, or your reasoning isn't working or you, um, whatever it is that would make you be able to reconcile an old self versus a new self, the, the ability to adapt to sort of gracefully update is, is the word Mrs. Olson, um, Mrs. Owensworth uses to update yourself, which happens normally for other people as a woman becomes a mother. Um, it can't actually, it, you actually can't do it. So, and that's part of the reason why people with brain injury who describe the loss of self and their play with the loss, of, the sense of loss of self is they can't quite, they can't quite describe what it is, but something's missing, which is what we said. Um, earlier. And so uh, what are we, let's see, where, where are we? Loss of sense of self. Are we here yet? How is loss of sense of self work? Um, yes, here we are. Great. Um, Maharo Nochi in 98 uh, dis discussed the types of loss, types of loss of, loss of self after brain injury. And as we said earlier, the uh, loss of clear knowledge of self, you have the amnesia, um, you can't understand your present self, opaqueness of self. Um, if you don't understand your condition, um, the, the, um, the void that someone feels, sometimes the amnesia can be great. Um, so, if, you, if a woman, there's an example of a woman who in her, the year prior to her injury um, changed jobs and she couldn't remember, she couldn't remember having performed her job for a year. That's pretty impactful in, in your, your understanding of yourself. Um, so the opaqueness of self, understanding of cognitive and emotion, what am I? Um, Nochi heard a woman talk about uh, herself in the third person so far in that so far in that you're not even talking about me um and then the loss of self by comparison which is actually the most common um uh whether or not they understand their, the, the difference between the past self and the current self the old me and the new me and the old future and the new future uh new goals um and um the loss of sense of self in the, in the eyes of others um the impact of brain injury on self has been called catastrophic. Um, so we sort of are getting like a little taste of it. We know, we know what self is, we know what sense of self is, we know different kinds of loss of sense of self. So loss of sense of self, what is it exactly? There it is. It is, um, so, so not a definition, but they're elements sort of like loss, what would be elements? Um, and, we're using this really powerful language. So the first is self estrangement, like estranged from yourself, um, uh, conscious awareness that on the part of the survivor that they're just not the same person. Um, the, 
number two. Um, the survivor makes a negative evaluation, which goes back to the old, old, old me, new me. Um, and then, um, and when they make that comparison, they see that the old, the old me was better. So the negative evaluation, like, you know, mathematically the negative of the current me. Um, and because of that, they experience emotional distress. These are the elements of loss of sense of self. And, um, the final element is denial. Um, in order to avoid the experience of um, emotional distress, they deny or by uh, protecting themselves. Um, it's a protective response in the face of increasing recognition, which is awareness, which is really important to this, um, this kind of uh, loss of self, this of the two. This is, the awareness um, side of things. Awareness because loss of sense of self has to do with the more mild brain injury concussion. Even the hockey players who, you know, not the repeated concussions are, are nothing, but it is a mild brain injury. Um, so, okay. So we, you might say, uh, one might say that denial, all right, um, solved. We just deny the emotional uh, of it and everything's fine. Um, and unfortunately, ignorance is not bliss. Um, it's well established, well as well established that um, increased awareness, increased self-awareness, which you would think is good, leads to emotional distress. Um, ignorance is not bliss. The reality, what happens when you deny? Um, the, the patient who's in denial of their, their new self, of the, of the self that has the impairments, um, they won't go to rehab, they won't pursue rehab. And ultimately if they don't, um, they deteriorate further than you know, cognitive rehab has to do with um, restoring, restoring. And if they don't pursue restoration of their abilities, cognitive or behavioral or physical, uh, they'll deteriorate further. Um, poor psychological adjustment, which is depression, which makes sense, um, even if you're denying it so, um, unconsciously. Um, um, the poor psychological adjustment occurs uh, when you experience situations where that present challenge to the new self. And then what happens is the new self avoids those situations so that even the abilities that the, the new self re retained aren't put to use, which is an overall diminished quality of life. Um, neuroscience obviously has had a vested interest in figuring this out, right? Um, the, um, how, did they, how did they start to do it? They looked at patients who, because there are some, there are, there are some patients who managed to navigate uh, the threats to self after brain injury, how do they do it? Um, positive self-identity after brain injury. They, uh, so let's see, patients have positive identity experiences after brain injury. Nochi in 98 um, looked at 10 survivors and analyzed how they come up with, how they proceed through life, even despite their impairments and their history of brain injury. 
he, and they, he saw that they revise, in quotation marks, they revise their self-narratives. Um, some say, uh, well, you know, things could, sitting in a physical therapy room, unhappy about the experience, um, looking across the room and seeing someone who's also going through therapy who has no legs, well, things could be worse. Protesting therapy is the second, um, recognizing the impairment, but um, said other factors, add, other factors added to it, the unhappiness, growth of self. Um, I, uh, the effects of TBI were negative, but it's given me growth for the future, um, living for the self here and now, looking at selves without comparison to anyone else, and then the recovering self. So the part of the narrative is, so this, so this was like a blip in my thing, my life, and I'm going to, the end of the story is that I recover. And that, that hope, which is a capital letters word, that hope that gets you to the end of the story is what allows them to successfully have a, you know, proceed and have a positive self-identity despite their brain injury. Um, the way Nochi describes self-narrative, sort of an, sort of a, uh, not so clear, no, so, not so clear term. Um, self-narrative is a story constructed with language which meaningfully connects concrete events and has a beginning and an end and a unique uh, and reflects unique perspectives. Um, okay, so rehabilitation and the course of neuroscience, uh, how can we, oh, oh right, neuroscience said how well, so, good, so that's good, that works out. Um, how can we create that? How can, what treatment can we give to patients who can help them revise their self-narratives to, um, to avoid this um, omnipotent and um, commonly shared loss of sense of self that impacts rehabilitation, right? Um, and many different uh, approaches were considered or were tried and considered. Um, and as late as 2021, um, the study that I referred to about the patient who was most important or most uh, effective the symptom that affected her most was loss of sense of self. In that study, the author said that after 20 years of studying the lived experience, the method of exactly how to do, how to treat that is still not, not clear. Um, and we understand, we talked earlier about why um, it's complicated for neuroscience and for psychology. In 99, uh, Damaso, who's like a major neuro neurology uh, neuroscientist, um, he found self in the brain. Okay, so it's it's neurosciences. So we should come up with what it is. There's sort of like a turf war going on, and there has been for a long time um, since long since. Uh, well, we'll get we'll get to that. Um, and so the contrary study is, or the counter study is that in 2016, um, Beetle finds that in in or concludes in her study that. Loss of sense of self isn't really a neurologically created thing. It's actually this, this social experience outside of the survivor that causes the loss, the feeling of loss of sense of self. And that can be fixed with social stuff. Social stuff, we're not going to worry about um, treating, treating the brain for it. Um, we, uh, the problem is the subjective experience, right? And the unattainability of the, the subjective experience. So how do we treat? So we referred to the turf war. We talked about um, 
cognitive abilities in quant terms, uh, the difficulty of measure, measuring, and the subjective experience. We've got a new color and asterisk after subjective experience. Um, are we on slide 18? Okay. Um, let me read those again. Excuse me while I move you because I can't see my slide. Um, there it is. The sub how do we capture the subjective experience of brain injury? Um, they tried, uh, they being neuroscience, tried all different um, studies. Do we, do we treat sense of self with, with the same gender? Do we treat sense of self amongst like a, a population students? Do we, do, do we deal with hockey players? Do we, do we treat them, do we, tr do we promote group uh, uh, affiliation? Um, and the narrative approach that's stayed is the 98 thinking about uh, self-narrative. It's had, it had staying power, power and uh, narrative, let's see, the narratives enable the, this is, uh, the narrative, note she describes, narratives enable the entry into the insider experience as, I've got to move you again because I can't see, um, as the life world or inner meaning or, or inner world of meaning. Um, also pretty, pretty exciting for me to read, but also impactful. Uh, Sarah Morris, Sarah D. Morris, um, wrote this incredibly, it was 2004 article, but incredibly, um, I'm gonna put you back on the top because I still can't see. What's the story here? Um, apologies, okay. And then I don't wanna interrupt you, Tara. I just wanna yeah. tell you you got about 10 minutes left and then oh, you know, yeah. time then for- we've gotta, Then we've gotta speed through, we've gotta speed through. So um, we're gonna jump to, so self-narrative is self-narrative and the subjective experience. That was not my, um, that was not my experience. I, uh, my daughter refers to my, refers to the stories of my, the way I describe my recovery experience as the Grey's Anatomy version of um, loss of sense of self, loss of self. Um, the type that I'm referring to is Oliver Sacks referred to it as the world of Arabian Nights. Um, neuroscience still calls the experience of impaired self-awareness a phenomenon because they can't get their hands around it. So as I begin my storytelling of my 97 brain injury that I sustained on the way home from attendance at a brain injury benefit for, here we go, an international rock star survivor, now friend, who had been shot in the head by a later to be revealed terrorist. Um, it's a wonderful, unlikely recovery story um, that uh, we don't have time for. So um, I need to give you the quick summary of impaired, impaired self-awareness, the Grey's Anatomy stuff. Um, are we gonna go fast through this? Um, um, where are we? Oh, no, I've gotten too far. Apologies again. I'm giving you the end of the story. Implications of self-awareness. Uh, I'm looking for slide 19. Here it is. Here we are. Okay, anosognosia. That's what Oliver Sacks was looking at back in 85 because they had not uh, decided, they neuroscience had not identified um, impaired self-awareness as something that was partial 
anosognosia. It is the clinical phenomenon um, in which the brain dysfunctional patient does not appear to be aware of their neurological, impaired neurological or neuropsychological function, which is obvious to the clinician or other reasonably attentive individual. Um, impaired self-awareness is described, defined below, use of the term impaired self-awareness is to describe a partial syndrome of disturbed function. And that has to do with the way the person who's unaware responds to uh, a clinician telling them, no, you're actually paralyzed. Um, and the patient with anosognosia, which is more global experience, would ignore, would just not listen, or, or meaning just not respond to that kind of feedback. Whereas someone with impaired self-awareness would be perplexed or they may even respond with something that's um, like a, a figuring of it. Um, let me find, okay, here we are. Um, so the definition of impaired self-awareness, we did that. Um, what does it mean? Um, okay, so you, so you over, let me see. So you overestimate your ability. So, right. so my experience was, all oh, right. Um, all right. So impaired impaired self awareness can um, can affect. So so you have limited awareness of your ability. You're unaware of your impairments, and you have high self esteem because you're not. Sort of like denial, but different um, because you are not. Um, your responses aren't angry or defensive, um, and. Uh, Let's see. It can affect. It can affect. It can occur as a result of many different kinds of neurological impairment, not just traumatic brain injury, which is what I sustained. Um, it's also common to stroke. Um, um, so some. It can affect paralysis, speech, uh, memory, unawareness of all of these things. The patient is unaware. Um, for me, I. Uh, in addition to the many cognitive impairments that go along with traumatic brain injury, I had aphasia, which is an impairment of my language ability. And so being unaware of the sound of the language coming out of my mouth, this, uh, this is also difficult to read, um, but it's my spe speech and language. Uh, it says overall patient needs maximum assistance for basic communication um, and max to total for um, social communication, patient denies deficits in communication. Uh, that's for one kind of aphasia, Wernicke's fluent. So gobbledygook, coming out, com words, replacing words, just coming out, coming out. And people would say to me, slow down, slow down. And I figured at one point that I was in the South because the nurses were speaking to me slowly and everyone always told me, oh, people from New Jersey talk too fast. And so I was, okay, I must be in the South because impaired, uh, the impaired awarenesses that go along with brain injury also have to do with environment and time and place separate. Um, so here we are on slide 22. Another part of speech was that I was speaking Spanglish and, um, I don't know how to speak Spanish. So uh, this says that the nurse, the nurse's notes say that I requested for the Spanish channel to be put on. Totally unaware of these things. Um, I, you know, in addition to have, in addition to the 
killer nurses, the abusive, perceived abusive uh, physical therapists, um, not knowing my head was shaved, not, you know, not knowing a lot of things about myself. I didn't know, and not knowing that I had, um, not paralysis, but weakness on the left side um, and deciding that the therapist was trying to hurt me. Um, sort of a dramatic, dramatic story. Um, we're gonna, okay, here, here's the mash because Prigatano, George Prigatano is the guru on impaired self-awareness and anosognosia. He describes this crazy situation where the traumatic brain, he says the situation for the traumatic brain injury survivor is much more complicated for a lot more reasons because of all of the um, unawarenesses of time and place that I described. Um, he says, uh, there, so he describes, patients do not have any recollection of what happens to them and they're convinced they don't need to be in the hospital. They may report co no cognitive impairments. During their hospital stays, they may literally be uh, walking around giving elaborate explanations as to why they're in the hospital. For example, a patient who was an inspiring actor indicated that he was in the hospital rather, he was not in the hospital, but rather in a movie set depicting MASH and the other, the doctors and nurses were on, were on the set as actors. Uh, so how are the, how is this guy going to get treated? Um, um, implications, right. Implications again, the decreased motivation for physical therapy or, uh, rehabilitation therapy, um, depression, uh, and caregiver, caregiver distress. How do you help someone who doesn't need to be helped? Um, here is, uh, more notes of mine saying that I thought at first I was, they're playing uh, because I pulled a muscle in soccer, which is the only time I'd been to the hospital before this. Um, and at the bottom, I say, I feel fine, totally fine. Um, okay, so impaired self-awareness in 2020. So we know about the surfboard. We know about all of the complications of the winding of the denial and that kind of thing. Um, in 2020, uh, George Pregatano describes impaired self-awareness as the failure to experience a disturbance of higher integrative brain functions due to a disruption or, or damage to the regions of the brain um, and performance of higher integrative, right? So failure to experience. So we're starting to get a whiff of the, the importance of the experience. At the bottom, we see the evolution. There's um, George, um, Oliver Sacks, uh, no idea, no conception, not possible. I was starting to describe um, Sarah Morris, who uh, described this really like complicated time in treatment where brain injury was irreparable. Uh, patients weren't being hopelessly treated, treated sort of like for not really to recover, but to cope, but to, um, to sort of live with life as this new self. Um, then we go to the study of anosognosia, which is George Prigatano talking about, um, um, he says, apologies. Okay, I'm just going to do it. Um, then we talk about, um, he, he talks about recognition of the experience of, of the patient who, who can't pick up the cup because she's paralyzed on one side. And she says something like, um, I had to trust my feelings. Okay. And then he says, a subjective description, a description of a patient description of the subjective experience would help us. That was in 2011, 2018. Um, Jason Tagout gets really into the subjective experience and the bridging of the divide. Um, and then in 2020, two years ago, George Prigatano comes and says, 
Square me on 25. Let me catch up. Uh, Sorry, we have about 15 minutes left. I don't know if you want to, if you have a wrap up slide and or if you oh, have oh, oh, really? questions. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at that. I told you I was verbose. Um, then, um, so quickly, um, this talks about how uh, they were suggesting my rehabilitation in 97, when none of this, none of this progress was happening yet. Um, that I was contending, that's the word there, contending, defensive maybe, that maybe, maybe I was in this experience of denial because I was more aware that I was gonna go to law school. Um, so what happens? So here we are. So George Pricatano says, um, his the last the last little box was this paper that was so exciting compared just like the uh, Morris paper um, that he says neuroscience neuroplasticity and where is it neuroscience neuroplasticity and um, a neuropsychological rehabilitation is a new era. Um, so we look about, look at neuroplasticity. What, what, what are all the findings post 97? Um, they discover that neuroplasticity happens in the adult brain. The adult brain can grow new brain, brain cells. Um, and that learning promotes neurogenesis, that voluntary exercise running, um, specifically running promotes cell growth. Uh, the cell growth happens in a new challenging environment. Um, and then brain injury increases cell production three to four times. All of that was discovered with this um, neuroimaging. Um, and Prigatone is really excited that uh, there's that these machines can give us actual evidence that the training that they provided, uh, that rehabilitation is, can give us, um, I'm gonna read it, potential evidence that more than compensatory training may occur as a result of rehabilitation, rehabilitation activities. So um, there is, so I, I propose that that is a, so is the last one here? So, I know that's the last one. So right, so wrapping up, um, and I'm sorry that we, I miss so much. Um, in closing, with George Prigadon's um, quote, we note that he recognizes the importance of the subjective patient experience, as he said in his 2011 book. Um, he says this, and then the presentation today was supposed to, and I hope it did, uh, suggest that there is no, um, there is an alliance now, the turf war is over and the turf war is over because it also includes the patient. And uh, I hope my presentation can give you, has given you a hopeful, has made you as hopeful as I am uh, about the newish alliance. Um, and it will mean a return. It will soon mean a new, new self. Uh, brevity is not my thing. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, Tara. That was, I mean, it's certainly a very complex topic. And Dense, for great, sure. Dense, for yeah, sure. a great job at handling it. So maybe you could just stop sharing your screen. Okay. Um, and so we have about 10 minutes and we can open things up for questions now. So there's a couple of ways you can ask questions for Tara. Um, first, you can use the raise your hand feature. 
To do this, you want to click on participants on the bottom of the page. And when that opens, there'll be a raise your hand button you can press. And one of us will, will call on you to ask Tara your, que your question to Tara. Um, second, if you'd like, you can type your question in the chat and one of us will ask Tara the question for you. So does anyone have anything they would like to say to Tara or any questions for Tara? We can open it up more time to finish. <laughs> just let her go, she'll, she'll just go. <clears throat> which is true. <clears throat> uh, I'm just going to fill the time just because we're waiting. And when you see questions, just tell me to be quiet. Okay. Um, yeah. So the, so the thesis of today was that um, the self, which includes ability, um, ability that's treated through cognitive rehab is they're improving the cognitive rehab with all of these advances, including involving the patient so that self will be something that the survivor is part of recapturing. We're still waiting, okay. I'm Thomas Quinlan, can you hear me? Oh yes, Thomas, I'm so oh, glad yeah, you're here. We were talking about you earlier. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find a flag, so I'm gonna give up. I, I wanna say, uh, the introduction of your of you was absolutely fabulous, and I wasn't disappointed after hearing you speak. Um, you you have a real life experience with TBI, which in in my nine years experience is a rarity to talk to somebody who actually is fighting the same battle we are, and uh, can can speak uh, like you do. I appreciate all that you've done in your life to be able to do this. And uh, you've been an absolute blessing and encouragement to me. And I hope we can get a recording of this thing. You're too kind, Thomas, thank you. Uh, I'm not too kind, You're too, uh, thank you, but I, I'll take that. But I, I wanna dish back out to you how uh, wonderful it is to, to hear you speak. It, it was just, uh, you know, makes you feel like you're not alone. You're, you're, you're one of millions. And I know we are. I know we are. But still, yeah. we don't get to talk to the millions. We usually talk to somebody who thinks they know what they're talking about. You know what you're talking about. And it comes over loud and clear. Thank you. And I'll sign off. Thank you. Uh, we have a I, I'm sorry, Thomas, don't feel don't feel discouraged, because in my opinion, the move toward understanding the patient experience is is going to happen. It's happening. It's important now. I'm not discouraged at all. I'm totally uplifted by this. Good. Thank you. So there is a question in the chat. Um, it's from Jenna and it says, Tara, can you describe how you felt that your sense of self has changed over time in your recovery? Over time, over, mm -hmm. over the long time. Um, I think that if one were to say in 1996 that Tara will experience traumatic brain injury, the person would say, she'll eat it up, something like that. Um, because I was, I had strength of character for sure. And, and the research says that personality is part of it. Um, and which doesn't mean that it was not a hiccup for me. It was life altering. I was in a different world where um, I didn't know, I didn't know my head was shaved. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know 
and I was functioning and talking to people and just not, just not in the same world. Um, so that sort of, uh, doesn't, doesn't look like a blip. Um, for sure it was on that note list, had the experiences of coping, the revising of the self narratives. I first, I think I probably am the person who, uh, was the growth person who live, was living out the living out. This has made me a better person. Um, I think that may have caused me to appreciate um, other people's life experiences more than I would have otherwise. Um, being an advocate now is it sort of goes along. It's like right in line with the law school thing, right? Being uh, you know representing someone so. But being an advocate for brain injury is, um, it means something, whereas being a lawyer representing a client doesn't, doesn't go to your, your personality or doesn't go to your beliefs or doesn't go to your values or your lived experience sort of thing. Um, um, I, and I think for sure it's made me a better person, stronger person. Oh. Michael Greenwald has a question. So Michael, if you want to Michael, <laughs> unmute you. yourself and ask Tara your question. I just had to mute my unmute myself. Uh, the speech I I enjoyed very much and um, I'm very proud of you. Oh, uh, you're so kind. I want to say a lot of people who are listening, I'm sure are undergoing or have undergone brain injury. And uh, I wanted to know, why was it that in all the after effects that you have when you have a brain injury, your sense of self was the one that stood out? That really baffled me. How was that? Of the, the, the fact that sense of self, so, so of all the research, do you mean for me or for people for generally? You, yeah. Um, I mean, go back to the wheelchair where I'm looking in my lap. I have no idea how I got where I'm suddenly disabled and I have no idea why. The, it's sort of like um, your foundation, you're you've never been an orphan, but say you, um, the basic like, uh, and it goes to impaired self-awareness too, right? Not knowing who you are or like literally not being able to hear yourself, right? and literally not being able to see yourself because mirrors appeared and disappeared for me. I didn't, you know, I, I was, my head was shaved, but I was, who, who knew? I, the nurse in the second room, which was well months into it, lifted my hair and said, oh, it's growing in. And I said, what do you, and I assumed she doesn't know who, I'm just that other patient. She doesn't know, she's, mis she's mistaking me for, I said, what are you, I've never, what are you talking about? And she lifted up my hair and I almost fell out, I almost fell out of the chair. I you know, that's loss of sense of self. Sense of self is like, I know who I am. I know what I look like. I know what I sound like. I know where I'm going. I know where I came from. None of it. But nobody agreed with you. That was it. Was that the main thing? Uh, things that you thought were available were just not there. Do you mean, do you mean that when people would tell me to slow down speaking? Anything. When people would say something to you, it just, didn't match how you were thinking. But, but, but I'm in this world, this traumatic brain injury world, right? Which is the world of Arabian Nights where you don't know that you have no memory. Can you imagine not knowing that you have no memory? 
I mean, there's a movie about that, right? He wrote on his body or something like that. Um, you're so disoriented. Distortions of reality is what, they're, is what they're called. You're so disoriented. There's not really a moment to, other than like in a dream, which is the experience that I had, I must be dreaming because my moment of, my moment of, um, whatever the word is, my moment of aha was talking to my father and a friend who is visiting me and her brother who happens to be coming too and saying, but this is just a dream, right? And my father said, why do you think you're dreaming? Because that was the only way it made sense, right? So people disagreeing with me, where I would internally figure it out, oh, I must be, I must be in the South. I, so I'd look out the window and, and the dream that I had about the window that night that I had those nightmares with the little boy on the street and it was worried about him because his mom left, left him outside in the middle of the night. I looked at the window, out the window and the same room, there's a highway that well, you, you don't recognize a highway for anything from any other highway, but it was the parkway. And I didn't recognize it as the parkway because I was sure I was in the South. I mean, those basic, like, no, uh, no awareness of self. I don't know where I am, when I am, who I am. Uh, we have time for about two more questions and okay. so there's a there's a question in the chat and then um mike sheehan had his hand raised so let me go oh. to the question in the chat first so the question okay, is from peter and he asked did you find that once some people got used to your injured self they mm -hmm. were reluctant to accept your growth out of that state see this is this also goes to the the student research that i read um and the group research that I read, I had this sort of like circumstantial, um, perfect situation, perfectly not good situation, but I, right after, right after rehab, I went away where nobody knew me to law school where everybody was terrified of failing. So, you know, brain injured or not. So I was one of, it was just like everybody. I had a secret that I didn't tell anybody. And so nobody really could judge me until I said, why don't I take, if they're going to give me the stupid extra time, why don't I just take it? Because it'll give me a leg up. And then once you like disclose your, only to the teachers, the, then you sort of start to feel like that. My family or the people, friends and family close to me who knew all the way through, even though I was, you know, was in DC, um, I mean, for sure, people spoke loudly to me and a, an uncle asked if I saw the white light and that kind of thing. Um, and I, yeah, I've definitely had, um, and then jobs that I've taken since, uh, since law school. So I, you know, jobs as an attorney, I've had uh, people judge my ability, which is like not legal, but judge my ability based on the fact that I've had brain injury and decide the reason that things that I pr produced were the way they were, or, you know, uh, so the answer is yes, I have. Um, uh, maybe um, now Mike Sheehan has a question. You could unmute yourself and ask Tara. Thanks. Hi, Tara. Long time no see. Hi. Yes. How thank are you. you? <clears throat> um, so I have a very quick question. So I, I'm obviously new to this, this environment. So, but I do see a lot of parallels between what you talked about with regard to positive self-identity after brain injury, 
with the types of methods used to change just human behaviors in, in general. And so, for example, you know, we tell ourselves with negative self-talk over time, you know, certain stories about ourselves. And if we, the more we tell ourselves, the more we believe that, right? So when it comes to behavior change, redefining that narrative of self is often what's needed as a first step towards creating lasting change. And I'm wanted to see if you could comment on whether you see those same similarities and also if you can speak to your experience of changing your own self-narrative after your injury. So I really wish I could have spoken, I'm going to find this second page, spoken about Sarah, Sarah D. Morris. She wrote this incredible article about, um, so I'm just going to summarize it. Um, her, the way she proposed that self-narrative is effective in treatment of brain injury is that you view self not as one thing, not I believe and through my recovery believe that, and it was fine because it worked because I was unaware of any of change. Um, that there's one self, that I am a fighter and I'm gonna be fine. My, my narrative according to my parents was, you're gonna get back to 100% from the, big, from the first day, 100%. There's no room for anything else. 100% the whole way, not because they're super positive people, but because it was such a devastating, so it was devastated. I was like horribly, horribly injured. There was no choice. There was no, there were not like five options. It was, she's gonna get better, that's it. Um, but Sarah Morris talks about self as changeable. You have to forget that one stuff, forget that, forget that true, true self is what she calls it. So this, you have to view this self as changeable. And the way that, it's, the way that it cre is created is through conversations, language, narrative, language between or communication between people. And so every conversation makes you different, right? The feedback makes you different. Um, so and then, which, which go back, goes back to my question, like why are these football players different? Well, we'll right, because it has to do with that complex neurological thing that happens when you adapt to the change, when you update your personality. Um, you don't like, you know, you, I guess you press whatever refresh, but you don't press anything. You just, it just refreshes for you. Um, so you would have a more like graceful progression into whatever the next step is or whatever the change to is than person, a person with brain injury who can't do that updating. They're just different. And they're like, this is not good. Um, so if that answers your question, I hope that it did. Um, yeah. Thank you. Great job, by the way. Oh, thank you. So we'd like to thank Tara today for her presentation. It was certainly, you know, a great talk um, and, you know, a really complex topic. And I think you did a wonderful job of breaking it down for us, for sure. And I'd like to thank everyone for attending our talk today. Um, we hope to see you all for our spring brainstorm session, which is going to be on March 17th with Mike at the mic. And any more of our events or participating in any of our research, much of which can be done remotely, please check us out on the Kessler Foundation website.